Thanks for being here. If you have a Bible, if you want to look and turn into your, on your phone to Hosea chapter 6. Hosea chapter 6. We're going to look at verses... Uh, I'm going to read chapter 6 to us, but we're going to look at Hosea 6 and chapter uh, 7 today. We've been continuing going through our study. Hosea chapter 6 and 7. I'm going to read all of chapter 6, though. The nation of Israel was, uh, has fallen away from God. God called them back, has been calling them back. But if you remember in Hosea 5, they called for other nations to help them. And God says to them that judgment is coming. And Hosea chapter 6 starts with what sounds like repentance, but it's actually the people not fully Repenting. Hosea chapter 6. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. He is going, his going out is sure as the dawn, and he will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that waters the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like morning clouds, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgments go forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers, tracked with blood. As robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests band together. They murder on the way to Shechem, they commit villainy. In the house of Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there, Israel is defiled. For you also, O Judah, a harvest is appointed when I restore the fortunes of my people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thanks this morning for your word. Lord, thanks for the truth of your word. Lord, thanks for the help of your word. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that this morning that you would help us to understand it, to hear it, that you help us just to respond to it. Lord, that you would just use it in our lives. Lord, just give us the grace that we need and the help that we need. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thursday night, the President of the United States came out, gave a speech to the country, and over and over and over again, he said, enough, enough, enough. That, that, that statement from what's been happening in the last week is true. The result and how to get to that end is still debated. And however you feel about his speech, what we all can agree on is the truth of that statement is enough. Um, enough. This is how God felt with the nation of Israel when he's calling them to these in the book of Hosea, he has been saying, enough. I, I've watched it go on. I've watched how you've been, and enough. A number of years ago, about uh, 12 years ago this week, my cousin was with a group of my cousins up in the Boundary Waters in Minnesota. 
him and his brother were on one side of the, the lake or the river, and they were going to join them across, and they just thought, having a great time, they jumped in their canoe to go across, halfway across, they were joking around, and some, or something happened, the canoe spun over, my cousin was sucked under in the undertow and wasn't seen again and drowned down the other part of the river. His brother, who was with him in the boat, survived. And every year about this time, he'll put out an announcement to everybody. As summer season is coming, here's the story of my brother. Wear your life jacket. These warnings are dark. It's not a story you want to remember about your family, but it's a, rem- it's a story we need to remember for those reasons. And as we look at the book of Hosea, it's the same type of thing. This account of Hosea and these next few passages aren't cheerful, joyful stories, but they are to help us grow. Romans 15:4 says, for whatever was written for for- in former days was written for our instruction, that through the endurance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. Do you want hope? And that's why these darker passages, these downer passages are there, not to discourage us, but to help us. When you think of the book of Hosea, here's three words I'd like you to think about. It's not, it's not a book that we read regularly, but as you have been reading it, and I hope you read along with us as we go through, but here's three words that I think will help you as you think about the, first, as the, the book of Hosea. The first one is the word wanted. That, that was the picture. The picture is the nation of God, the people of God. They have, they have betrayed God. They have been like an adulterous wife, and God wants them. And so he gave this graphic picture of Hosea, his prophet. He said, go marry a woman who is not going to be faithful to you. And that was a graphic picture to the nation of Israel for they could see that they were still wanted. God says, your wife's going to be unfaithful. And then he tells Hosea, go back with your wife. Stay with your wife. And you're wanted. She's wanted. Let her know that she's wanted. That's what God wants us to know. You are wanted by God. But the truth is we're also not just only wanted, but we are wayward. The people of God were wayward. Often, In Hosea, he uses the word stumble. They've stumbled from the way they were supposed to go. The way they were supposed to go, as the people of God, it was written and told to them in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is said fully in that chapter that you're supposed to love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And when you do that and as you do that, things will go well for you. If you don't do that, there will be judgment. Obedience will bring a blessing, and disobedience will bring judgment. The people said, we'll follow God, we'll do it. But as time went, they, they wandered away. They became wayward. They were wanted by God, but they became very wayward. But the truth of Hosea is that through all of it, God always gives away. It's a great book of the love of God and the grace of God. But up to this point, the nation of Israel has been, at the end of chapter 4, they're described as being married to idols, being a band of drunkards, and just wrapped in the wind. They are, they are all over their place when it comes to their faithfulness 
to God. They're still the people of God, but that generation of the people of God, God said judgment is going to come upon them. There, there can be seasons in a church's life. There can be seasons in a country's life. There can be seasons in the world where there are seasons where there's the people of God, there's the remnant, but there's a long group of those people who decide not to follow God, and they can be extremely wayward. And then God can call back some of those people and bring life back to a place that didn't have life before. This is what he's saying, but there is judgment for those who don't go God's way. The book of Hosea is about being wanted by God, the people of God being wayward, but God always offering back a way to him. Because it says in verse, the first word of chapter 6, come, let us return to the Lord. There is a right route to take in your walk with God. There's a right path to be on. And God always, by his mercy and grace, has offered the right way, but we naturally, left to ourselves, we naturally reject it when we will go our way. So here's what's needed. There needs to be a return. There needs to be a regular regular returning to the right way. There needs to be a repentance. That's what the Christian life is. When Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis on the Wittenberg door, what he said in the first line, what the Christian life is about repentance and faith. That's the walk of a Christian, repentance and faith. And those two things, repentance will lead us to the desired direction we want to go. It will lead to joy. It will lead to blessedness. It will lead to happiness. But the theme of chapter 6 and 7 of Hosea really is repentance, which can sound like just a cold, hard word, repent, repent, repent. But the tone of it is that of a father. Verse 15 talks about how God raised them up of chapter 7. Although I trained and strengthened their arms, yet they devised evil against me. The call of Hosea chapter 6 and 7 is repentance, but the tone and the way it's coming is as if it's as a, as a father concerned for a child that's refusing to obey. He's concerned about it, he's compassionate, but he's bringing confrontation so that there can be correction. He, he wants it to be fixed. Why does a dad do that? A dad does that because he knows the consequences if his son continues to go the wrong way. In the New Testament, in Acts chapter 7, Peter, when he preached, he told the people, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. We need to know and understand repentance because there's been a day fixed where all will have to stand before God and they will, there is a set time. And so there's a call to repentance. Jesus constantly was calling people to their repentance. At the Great Commission, it says in Luke 24, 47, he wants that repentance and forgiveness of sin will be preached. Jesus talked about repentance constantly. In Luke chapter 13, when the people came to him and said there was a horrific event that just took place, a national tragedy. Pilate had taken some of the, Gal- the Galileans He had killed them. He'd mixed their blood with the sacrifices. And the people said, Jesus, why did this happen? Were these people more wicked than we were? And Jesus said, repent. And Jesus brings up the Tower of Siloam. He says in the same sentence, he says, 
Just look at the Tower of Siloam where 12, 17 people were killed. And his response to that, he didn't tell him why it happened. He said, repent. That was Jesus' response. But why don't people repent? Why is it we don't turn back? First reason maybe that people don't repent is they don't see the need. They don't see the need. They hear the call. They, can, they see Scripture, but they just don't really see a need to. Another reason why you might not repent or someone might not repent is they assume that they, might, they have the time. Young people will say this. I, I will, when I get out of high school, I'm really going to be serious about God. But until then, I got, I, I'm going to kind of live it up for a while, and then I've always got time. I'll repent after I get done with college. After, after my 20s, I'll, I'll repent. I always got time. If anything that the last few weeks in our country has shown as we don't know how much time that we have. People cannot assume, and we cannot assume, that we have time. Another reason people won't repent is they believe it will stop their happiness. If I really turn my life over to God, it's just, it's going to cost me more. It won't be as fun. Another reason is they, they don't believe, they believe they're just getting away with it. It doesn't matter what I do. Or they're afraid of what other people will think. Or they're just too lazy to take God at his word. Or they just don't believe that they can. They don't really believe that God would forgive them. They, they feel like they've gone too far, they've crossed the line, and God would forgive them. But Romans, or Hebrews chapter 6 and 7 helps us with all of that. But it does start out with this. Refusing repentance leads to death. Death is the result of repentance. The people seem to repent, be repenting to God in the first part, but this is what God says about them in verses 4 and 5. He hears their statements, and God is a, says, What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? Ephraim was the largest tribe of the nation of Israel, so sometimes it, it was just referred to as similar as Israel or Samaria, just saying Israel. O Ephraim, what shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. He hears what they're going to say. He hears what they're saying. But then as a father, he just says, oh, what am I going to do with you? I hear your words, but I know your heart. And judgment is coming for your lack of repentance. Death is the result of no repentance. If we don't repent before God, the consequences of sin is death. Death is always the result of no repentance. Someone said an unrepentant heart is self-satisfied, proud, and cold. And God resists such a heart. There's an old song that we used to sing as an old hymn. Come home, come home. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come home. Maybe this morning, you already know there's something that you need to be repenting of, but you've been putting it off. Judgment and the consequences will come for that, but Jesus' response to that is, is come home. Come home. He, he is like a compelling father just saying, come home, come home, repent, 
repent because repentance, a lack of repentance, always, always leads in death. That's why Jesus over and over and over again, the message of the New Testament is repent, repent, repent. The people of God heard that call. And in Hosea's day, over many years, they rejected that call, but they thought that they were okay. Self-deception is the great danger of false repentance. And after God gave this plea to them to, re to repent, and he's like, what am I going to do with you? You, you, you aren't repenting. Then he, he calls them out in the rest of these two uh, chapters. He calls them out and he just points to, their, points to them all the different ways that what they're living under is really a false repentance, and it's leading to great self-deception. He says in this, what am I going to do with you in verse 4? What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. It's just short lived. It's just there for a little bit, and then poof, it's gone. These people, they, they'd say, I want to love God. On Sunday, they're all excited about it. They wake up Monday morning, and it's just, whew, it's gone. Now I can just do what I want and live how I want. This is how they described their life. That's how God called them out on it. It's like, it's like a morning mist, and he lists about eight different ways, analogies, Hosea gave to try to point to the people like this is how your repentance is. The second one is in chapter 7, verse 4. He says, They are adulterous. They are like a heated oven whose baker ceases to stir the fire from the kneading of the dough until it is leavened. He calls them this overheated oven. It just gets turned on and then and, and it just stays hot. Nobody even has to do anything with it. And it just keeps getting hotter and hotter. Usually you'd have to go and keep it stoked. But the people's desire for sin was just like this overheated oven. They had this passion for sin. It just kind of smoldered in them. There'd be moments, so maybe you had moments in your life where you're like, ooh, that was a good sermon. I need to change something. But then, smoldering all along, is that sin that just keeps getting hotter and hotter and it grows and there's no real, there's a recognition of sin, but there's no real repentance of sin. It's just like an overheated oven that just smolders and smolders and it's like then they become on fire for sin. And oftentimes, the end result is worse than the beginning. If God convicts you of a sin, don't assume that three months later, you're going to be able to repent of that again. Don't presume on the Holy Spirit. This is how the people were. They're like an overheated ovens. Or in verse 7, verse 8, he says, they're like a half-baked bread. Ephraim mixes himself with the peoples. Ephraim is a cake unturned. They put the cake on. They start to cook. They'd walk away, and it would be half-fried on one side, just mesh on top. This is good for nothing. This, this, was, their, this was their spiritual life. They were, they, were, they were nothing. There was no distinction in them. They may have said they had a faith in God, but they, they lived as if they were just nothing. They were a half-baked cake. And then he says in verse 9 about them, 7 and 9, he says, Strangers devour his strength, and he knows it not. Gray hairs are sprinkled upon him, and he knows it not. God uses Hosea to describe 
the nation of Israel, like morning mist, like overheated ovens, like half-baked bread. I'm like this creepy old guy who still thinks he's in his 20s, but he's 75 years old. And he's out shopping at Old Navy, you know, trying to look as hip as he can be, not recognizing the gray hair, not recognizing that he's able to do it. You know, he's wearing the greatest fashions, and all the young people are looking at him like, what do you think you're doing? This is the picture that he's given. He says they're like, they're like gray old guys who, who old age has creeped up on them and they, and they don't know it. They have no discernment. There's no power in their life. Spiritually, they, this is the picture of someone who, who thinks they're following after God then they wonder, why, why isn't it working? Why well, I'm praying. I'm going to show up for church. I, I'm, I'm trying to try to do what I'm supposed to be doing but they've been sitting on sin that they're unrepentant of. They think they're the solid spiritually, but underneath they're like an old guy just trying to be something that he's not. There's no discernment in their life. There's no power in their life. Then God describes them in verse 11. Ephraim is like a dove, silly and without sense, calling into Egypt, going to Assyria. He says they're just like silly birds. They're just never settling. They're, they're just never, no commitment to anything. They're just fluttering around spiritually here. They'll, they'll listen to this and that really jazzes them up and then they fade away and they got to find something else that really jazzes them up spiritually then they fade away over here. They're just fluttering all over the place. There's no settling spiritually. There's no commitment in their life. There's no taking the long obedience in the same direction, which we're called to do. They're morning mists, they're overheated ovens, they're half-baked bread, they're creepy old guys, they're silly birds, and they are people, it says in verse 14, who have just self-focused prayer. They do not cry to me from the heart, but they wail upon their beds for grain and wine, they gash against themselves, they rebel against me. They shout out thoughts and prayers but they have no desire to know the God they're praying to. They are just self-focused prayers. This is, but they think that they're spiritual. This is self-deception, and it's a great danger of a false repentance. And in verse 16, he says, they return upward. They're like faulty bows. They return, but not upward. They are like a treacherous bow. Their princes shall fail, fall by the sword. The enemy comes. They are spiritually, so spiritually unprepared because it's a false repentance. They think they can stand up against the enemy. They shoot the bow. It, it wanders all over the place. Self-deception is the great danger of false repentance. Do you see yourself in any of those things? Is that any picture of your spiritual life? or Is it a self deception or just a true repentant life that you're living what is repentance it says in verse 1 come let us return to the lord verse 7 14 says cry from their heart verse 7 16 says they return but not upward repentance is the way to jesus christ there is no other way but through repentance in faith. Repentance is the way also for the Christian to clear away obstacles to Christ. 
You come to Christ by repentance and faith, and then as a Christian, you grow by repentance and faith. The life of a Christian is a life of repentance. Paul Tripp said, repentance is a radical change in your heart that leads to a radical change in your life. If you've truly repented, there will be in your life a love for Jesus, a hatred of sin, and a love for other Christians. This is what 1 John says. There will be in you this desire for Jesus that you almost cannot explain. It is almost unnatural to you. You, you, you know it's there. It's not to try to keep up with everybody else, not to try to guard and organize your life, but there is something in you that has been awoken in you by the Holy Spirit that you, in some sense, almost can't even explain. But you, 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 you even that what you don't know, you still believe and know that there is Jesus. And you trust in his word. There's a hatred for sin. Not that you don't sin, but there's a desire in your life not to sin. You don't say, well, I can just do this for a while and I'll repent later. It's not that big of a deal. When you sin, you, you recognize it. Be, there may even be long seasons of your life of sin, but you're not enjoying them. And even when you do enjoy them, deep down, you, you know that this is not the right direction to go. There, there is a love for Jesus. There will be a hatred for sin. And there will be a love for Christians if there is a true life of God in your life. This is what First John says. But there is a true repentance comes with just considering our sin it comes with confessing our sin. It comes with committing to follow God the right way. And it comes with change. This is how David prayed in Psalm 51. When he, when he sinned greatly, and Christians can sin greatly, but what David recognized was his problem was not that he just felt bad about it, not that he just felt guilty about it. He said, I, I've sinned against God in Psalm 51. Against you and you only have I sinned. He recognized that his greatest offense was not to other people, but his greatest offense was to God. That, that's where genuine repentance comes from. Repentance and faith is the route. It's the way of the believer. For Christians, this is how our life is to be, our lives are to be dominated by repentance. Repentance and faith is the walk of the Christian. Repentance is an honest unburdening of the heart to God. Well, when was the last time as a Christian, you, you can even remember just, in a sense, repenting and just confessing and unburdening your heart to God? Or have you said, I, I got to keep covering up? I got to keep hiding. I just got to make sure everybody else knows that I'm still in this thing. But I, I, I'm still holding on to this sin. True repentance is this honest unburdening of the heart to God. That will bring joy. Repentance always will bring true joy. When you are with someone who genuinely is repenting, they aren't afraid to confess their sin before you. They're not afraid to recognize that I'm a sinner. They, they aren't afraid to say, I don't got it all together. They are, they are free to say, you know what, I'm a mess, but I am trusting in Jesus Christ for this mess. But people who are self-deceived in their deception, they're always looking around trying to figure out who, who do I got to match up with? Oh, this is what you do, so I got to change over here. This is what you do, like a fluttering bird. This is what you got to do. We are called to live lives of full repentance. This is what the people of God were called to do, and they weren't doing it in Hosea's times.
But how do you know that you've repented? How do you know that there's this true repentance in your life? Because Satan loves to take this topic and say to you, really? Did you really repent? How do you know you really repented from that sin? Because you kind of still like it. How do you really know that you've changed? Just remember what you were like two weeks ago? He loves to lie to us and come in with this idea of repentance because he knows it is the lifeline of Christians. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to reach repentance. How do you know if you've generally repented? Desire Christ and you will know repentance. Seek Christ, and you'll know repentance. Don't try to seek repentance to know Christ. The way to get to Christ is repentance and faith. And Jesus is the door to Christ. So seek Jesus. Know this. God desires you. He said all over this where he gives us scathing report to the people of Israel. This is what you're like. This is what you're like. This is what you're like. But all through Hosea chapter 6 and chapter 7 is God saying to them in verse 11, For you also, O Judah, a harvest is appointed when I restore the fortunes of my people. In verse 13 of chapter 7, he says, Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction to them, for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. This is God's desire. God's desire is to redeem people. God's desire is to restore people. In verse 3 of chapter 6, it says, Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. What you need to know is that Jesus loves you. Look to Jesus. Jesus loves you personally. Jesus died for your sins personally. This morning, what you need to know more than anything else is not how much what I need to do to repent, but I just need to know Jesus. You need to know how much Jesus loves you, you personally. He went to the cross for you, and he gives you the faith to restore you, to redeem you. So God desires you. And he wants you to desire Jesus Christ. Depend on Jesus Christ and abandon your trust in your own strength and righteousness. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. The way to know if you've really repented is just keep looking to Jesus. Satan will love to say to you, you're not good enough. You've gone too far. You could never be redeemed. Nobody could love you. Nobody could want you. But Jesus over and over says, I want to redeem you. I love you. I love you personally. Look to Jesus. A number of years ago, I was at the University of Northwestern, and I was trying to talk to some college kids, share the, the faith, and talked to them about Jesus and went up to one kid and he was sitting with his friend on a bench. He was down from Newark or Millbrook. Started sharing the gospel with him. He was listening intently. I said, Jesus loves you. 
and he can forgive you. And he looked me in the eye and said, no, he can't. Nobody could ever forgive me. Nobody could forgive me. For what I'd done, he had just gotten back from Iraq. He'd spent his tour over there, and he'd killed some people, and he'd been through some brutal fights. And he believed that he could not be forgiven. It's just not true. That's not true. The Bible says there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ for those who will repent. No matter where you've come from, no matter what you have done, if you want to know that you're repented, you look to Jesus. J.I. Packer said there's tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about you. When you were at your worst, Jesus was at his best, going to the cross for your sins. So if you are wondering this morning, can I be forgiven? Is it worth taking all this guilt? Is it okay to be honest with what I'm really dealing with? Will God accept it? The answer is yes, yes, and yes. And if you wonder if it's true, you just look at the table this morning. You look at what he did with his body and his blood on the cross, and you just keep running to Jesus. If this morning there is an area of repentance that you need to do, repent. Jesus is waiting. He would say, come home, come home. Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Do you want to see the desires of Jesus? And you want to see the action of Jesus? Then look at the communion table this morning. Take it, receive it, repent, and rejoice. Because Jesus gave his life so that we can live a life of repentance and faith. And he just says, come, come this morning. If there is anything between you and God, repent. And if you've never come to God in faith, just receive him by faith. Jesus loves you. He calls you. And like a good father, he's just waiting for you to say, come home, come home. Let's pray.